This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. Welcome back to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, SiriusXM Channel 132. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm the Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and I'm joined on the line now by Michael Farid, who's the co-founder and CEO at Spice. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Happy you're here. All right. So first things first, you are a 2014 mechanical engineering graduate from MIT, correct? That's correct. Yeah. All right. I graduated exactly 30 years before you from mechanical engineering at MIT. So we have that oh, in common. Awesome. I didn't know that. <laughs> and I was even in a robotics lab, but it was uh, it was in a building now long gone. Uh, but anyway, it's it's fun to make that connection. Uh, it's super cool regardless. Yeah. So 30 years from now, you, you might be a radio, a radio host. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. All right. So, Michael, uh, first things first, you've got a... Uh, a nice short domain, and uh, but it does require some spelling. So it's spice, but that's s p y c e s p y c e dot com. In case someone wants to check you out while we're while we're talking, uh, give us the elevator pitch for spice. The elevator pitch, um, yeah, sure. Um, well, spice is uh, a restaurant company, um, and one of the cool things about our restaurant is that. Um, we use robotics for a lot of meal prep. Um, it's the idea started because we were uh, college kids and we were looking for really amazing, affordable, delicious food. And we found that there was kind of like this trade-off between food that was really good but was really expensive, and then you know most cheap food was pretty bad. Um, and so, as mechanical engineers, our uh, our solution was to build robotics. And uh, you know, fast forward about. Two and a half years, uh, we opened our first restaurant uh, back in in May of 2018, and uh, never looked back. Have a great time. All right. Well, let's let's uh, start with the food. So you have a, a fairly standard architecture for the food you serve at Spice. Tell us what what it what it's like. Um, well, one of the most exciting things about the food is our global cuisine. Um, so uh, every bowl at Spice is inspired by a different part of the world. Um, our most popular are some of the Asian-inspired bowls, um, as well as our uh, Italian-inspired bowl. Um, we always start with, okay, what do we really love about the dish? Um, what do we want to carry over? Um, and, you know, we're, we're not trying to be entirely authentic to the, to the particular dish, but we definitely want to draw some of the essences. Uh, my personal favorite is the Indian, the Indian bowl. It's a tikka masala-based bowl. But uh, my favorite thing about it is that most tikka masala bowls are – Really heavy. They're heavy cream-based. It's the kind of food that tastes great, but it also puts you to sleep. Um, we developed something that was really light. It was coconut milk-based, so it's so it can be made vegan if you want it to be. Um, and really fresh. Uh, a lot of fresh ingredients. We have put fresh cilantro on it. Um, and it's kind of like you know our take on a light, lunch-friendly uh, Indian bowl. All right. So, and you did use that word several times, bowl. So, all your food uh, is a is is a bowl, and and it's a a mix of ingredients that are typically in pieces. So, in that tikka masala uh, bowl, what just give us a description of what would be in it? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you can get if you get the grain version of the bowl, you 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 can select uh, one of our rices. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get a base of greens too. So, for example, you can get kale as your base. 
Uh, basically, it, 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 it starts with the base, which is a grains or a green, um, and then there's the vegetables. So in the case of this bowl, it comes with potatoes, peas, um, as well as a cucumber salad. Um, that's one, one of my favorites. And then there's usually a sauce component as well. Um, in this case, it's a vegan tikka masala sauce. And then there's toppings. So, for example, there's yogurt, there's fresh cilantro, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's usually a combination. Oh, and then, of course, there's your protein. So the most common one is chicken. Yeah. Um, so it's usually a combination of vegetables, some cooked, some fresh, grains, greens, sauce, and protein. All right. So you're making me hungry. What what do I what I got what I got to pay for that for that bowl? It's seven fifty. Uh, wow, it's a good deal. Yeah, it's a super good deal. All right, so that's the food. Now let's turn to the robots. So I'm sure our listeners mostly have a, a mental image of of R two D two and three three P C O, whatever he's called, back there, uh, an anthropomorphic device that is cooking my food for us. Um, is that what I'd see? Uh, no, uh, not even remotely close. Uh, in, in fact, um, you know, I, I think the, disc- the descriptor of it being a robot wasn't something that we came up with. Um, this was something that, um, you know, I, I honestly think by and large it was it was a media thing. Um, we described it to begin as an autonomous kitchen or a robotic kitchen because mm. that, that's the way that we felt it was best described. And then I think robotic got picked up and then it became really robots. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, what what you would see is you would see this sort of beautiful glass instrument looking thing um, with um, you, you, you'd, you'd probably tell that it was refrigerated behind the glass because you'd see some condensation on the glass. Yeah. Um, you'd see a bunch of containers uh, in the back. Uh, you'd see this thing called the runner, which is basically this orange box that sort of flies back and forth at lightning speed. It collects different ingredients. And then you'd see seven walks that are sort of spinning kind of like not too different from, uh, for example, a washing machine. Yeah. Um, uh, but the difference is they're 450 degrees hot. The food is inside them. It's sizzling. It's steaming. You can see a lot of energy. Um, and then underneath you've got a sink, which is where the walks get washed. And right in front of that, we've got these things that swivel the bowls in and out. Uh, I'm sure that's very, very difficult to picture. Uh, but I will tell you that it looks nothing like R2-D2. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you about it because I would not have characterized it as robots. I would have characterized as a dedicated machine tool uh, used to make food. And uh, uh, but but that was pretty good description. I I went and did I found a a video and I I, I think they look like almost little cement mixers uh, that that sit sit heated cement mixtures the size of a big ball that way. And, you know, the the design was. Um, you know, extremely purposeful. You know, the biggest risk of the business when we when we started it was, um, don't you think people are going to be put off by the by the technology? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we agree that was a risk. And so, you know, we worked really hard to flip that ideology. And now, instead of it being an, a, a detractor, it's actually an attractor. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it's become like it, it, it's become a like a like a big story uh, within. Uh, within our storytelling. Um, now, obviously that's, that's, that's not where we plan to take the brand in the future. Um, we are food for, we, we we're, we're food first and we care much more about the food than we do about the tech. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there was a lot of purpose in, in the way that we wanted to present it, the way that we wanted, uh, people to work with it, uh, our own staff, um, mm-hmm. and the way we, we wanted it to look. 
Yeah. Hey, did you did you guys design that gear? Is it all custom uh, food prep gear? Uh oh yeah, everything. We yeah. I mean we assembled it ourselves inside that restaurant. I mean we we built it with our own hands. Yeah. I I was going to guess that, but I thought I'd just verify it. So so what is, you know, it's funny you say it because I would have thought that most of the benefit proposition at least for the initial as the initial attractor as you put it is the tech. And but that wasn't your original motivation. Your original motivation was the unit economics, is that right? Um, well, so the, the initial motivation was to solve a, solve a need that we had, uh, but the, the need was low was cost, right? Uh, correct. It was, but it wasn't the economics of the restaurant, so to speak. It was like, I guess like more, more like personal economics. Um, yeah. it was, you know, we, we wanted to break this, you know, the price quality trade-off, um, that, that consumers have today. Um, so that, that was, that was definitely the initial need. Um, and you know that's still what that's still you know I'd say out of you know the the hundreds of people that come to the restaurant on on a daily basis uh, there's only a few of them that are there as what we call tourists they're yeah. there to check it out to take pictures to you know to to put it on their uh, social media feeds um, and you know we love having them over it's a ton of fun it's a ton of fun to talk to them and tell them more about it and tell them more about the story. But I mean, the vast majority of the customers that are coming into the store are repeat customers that are coming in for, um, because it's a really great meal at a great price and it's really convenient. Yeah. Do the, do the economics, I mean, I, I'm guessing you had to make the case either through proof, empirical proof or through analysis that the unit economics pencil out. Does in fact the use of automation really dramatically lower the, lower the price? Uh, absolutely. Yes, it does. All right. Yeah. You were quite definitive about that. So in other words, the other way to say that would be labor costs are a really big deal in that kind of, uh, for that kind of category of food. Uh, I mean, in general operating costs on a restaurant are usually, usually far exceed food costs. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's kind of like the, that's, that's, that's how difficult it is to operate a restaurant. Uh, it's, it's, it's really, really slim margins. Um, you're always trying to drive your labor costs all the way down. And, you know, that's why, um, you know, restaurant industry workers don't get paid well. Um, you know, we, we use that as an opportunity of, okay, well, actually, since we don't have to staff as heavily, let's pay our staff really well. Let's keep them for as long as we possibly can. And let's provide them with the best possible working environment that has them working on tasks that inherently people are good at, like customer service, as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, stuff like standing in front of a hot walk or, uh, dishwashing, for example. Yeah. So you take us back to the origin story. You described the impetus, which is you wanted a lower cost bowl. But did you start this in in school, uh, or where where did where did the actual venture come from? Yeah, we started in school. Uh, I was in the uh, I was in the first year of my master's program, and my co-founders was were in the uh, they were juniors as undergrads. Um, and yeah, we worked we worked on it for about a little over a little over a year while we were in school. Yeah, we you work with my friend Bill Allett at the Martin Trust Center. Yeah, yeah, we we spent a lot of time with Bill. He's uh, he was a great resource for us. Yeah, did people? It's a, by a big shout out to Bill. He has a he has a, a great book. I actually use it as the textbook in my course called Disciplined Entrepreneurship, and he basically lays out 
the 24 steps to how you create a, a successful venture. Well, um, we have about 50 copies of that book um, <laughs> from our time spent in, uh, in the Martin Trust Center at MIT. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I think we, we learned a ton about entrepreneurship from, from the programs there. Um, yeah. And we, and you know, we, we, we have nothing but thanks for them. I mean, I think that, I think that definitely without the resources that we got at MIT, such as the Martin Trust Center and Bill, uh, we definitely wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be where we are. Yeah. So one of the questions I'd ask you looking at this thing would be, geez, it seems to me that you sort of have to take a fairly big swing at this to validate the opportunity. I mean, you sort of have to build a restaurant to validate the opportunity. Is that true? Or was there some way you could validate it at much lower scale and lower risk? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's funny you ask that. Um, I mean, I think the short answer to that question is yes, it's true. Uh, in that, in that the technology is a big ask. That's a lot of development. Um, the restaurant is another big ask. That's the whole restaurant, you know, that's a real, that's a retail space. And so, um, you know, the proof of concept phase of this business, um, was definitely a big leap, um, in that there's not really an obvious way to validate it without doing that. Uh, I would say that, and you know, it's, it's, it's easy for me to say that in retrospect, like if you would ask me prior to opening the restaurant, I would have tried to make the case that, you know, we've already validated it through a bunch of different tests and pilots that we've done. But I think in retrospect, uh, like now, I would say that, yeah, it's, you know, unlike a lot of, you know, technology startups or startups in general, where sometimes there's a way that you can test quickly with not a lot of money, with not a lot of time. Uh, I, I'd say that in our case, that that was uh, probably probably not super doable. Uh, the things that we did do is, you know, we had a prototype unit that we built while we were in college. And we did a small pilot in the building uh, in Boston. Just in like a, a single unit, building. single. Yeah, yeah, it was a single unit. It was really slow. It cooked one meal every five minutes, um, and we couldn't. It didn't have any customization at all. Like whatever food we put in there, that was the meal that we would get out of it. It was very, very limited in function. It was extremely unreliable. But basically, we, we tried to we we stationed it in that office building. We had people sign up for their five minute time slot. And they could show up, and they could pay for their meal, and then we would operate it. Operate it, and when it was done with the meal, we would give it to them, uh, and then we would get some feedback from them. And I think that was probably the first time that we said, "Okay, people thought it was really, really cool." Yeah. Uh, and you know that enough that for that that was enough validation for us to invest more of our time into it and to really, really delve into it because. You know, we were worried about a lot of the classic things. Like people would just be like not interested or put off or didn't want to eat the food or didn't want to even try the food or wouldn't like the food or whatever. And, and the, opposite, the, the opposite reaction happened. People were wildly excited about it. Um, and they loved the food, which was kind of a, a solid proof, proof that you can make excellent tasting food um, yeah. out of an automated system. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, you know, that was enough for us. But definitely, I would say that opening the restaurant was a much bigger test. So calibrate us a little bit. What what kind of financing and investment did it take to to have that first restaurant where you could really demonstrate and test this concept? Um, we've raised just under twenty five million state, but to get us to opening the first restaurant um, was uh, well under five million dollars. Mm-hmm. 
It's still a lot. It's still a big swing. How how hard was it to raise that? That uh, it looks like, if I can believe Crunchbase, you raised two and a half million in seed funding. How how hard was it to raise that seed funding? Um, it wasn't easy. Um, you know, we were we were we were four guys out of college uh, with this with this dream, uh, and you know, we, we not, none of us had had real jobs, et cetera, et cetera. So there was there was definitely that component. In that you know, there whoever whoever funded us has to had to really believe in us. Um, uh, but it also wasn't impossibly hard because we got both people, we got folks from investment folks from both the technology side of side of the world and the food side of the world to get really excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and I think that those those complemented each other. And you know, once. Once our, you know, technology investors learned that we had a lot of credible food investors that was really interested and vice versa, I think we were able to sort of rally around that. And, uh, and ultimately, we had a, you know, successful round. Um, I would also say that it was helpful that we'd done that test that I described. Yeah. You know, we, we'd actually, you know, even in a very, very, very rudimentary way, we'd got it in front of customers. And we showed that, you know, in a short amount of time, we were able to build something that worked. So, you know, with with more time and more capital, we'd be able to get to a place where we had something that was actually working every single day, 12 hours a day. So, so again, if I can believe Crunchbase, you raised that seed round in 2016, and then just about two years later, you raised a Series A, $21 million. What did you have to prove over the two-year period in order to be able to raise $21 million? Uh, I, I think it's exactly what you said earlier. Uh, it was It was prove out the concept. I think... There was this big risk of, okay, so we can get the technology right and we can put together, a, you know, a restaurant. But are people going to like it? And I would say that the single thing we had to prove was yes, people are going to like it, and yes, it makes financial and economic sense. All right, so Michael, tell us a little bit about about scaling this business. You proved it out in one restaurant. People are excited. You've got. I think I read somewhere you're serving like 500 people a day at this at this location. How do you think about scaling this business business and what are the key challenges? Um, key challenges is probably real estate. Um, there's, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, scaling a restaurant is physical spaces. Um, you know, it's the whole you acquire the real estate. There's the lease process. There's the construction. There's you know installing the unit, and then there's launching. So you know there's there's definitely um, there's definitely challenges all around that, and that's probably you know that's probably the main growth limiter in terms of in terms of scaling is basically finding the right real estate and building it out. Um, we you know we, we honestly look at it as a as uh, like a, a, a little bit of a real estate play um, and a little, little bit of a brand building play. I would say our brand today is kind of at, at its infancy um, and we, you know, we as a company and we as founders uh, really want to uh, develop that and 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 get our message out there in something that starts with food, um, uh, because that that's that's really important to us and that's really important to our customers. And so, uh, you know, we're not we're 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 not yet at the point that we're trying to stamp out these restaurants uh, in a really really fast way. Um, you know, our goals for the next 24 months are probably a little bit more modest than that, um, mainly because, you know, we, we did a lot of proving, but we also did a lot of learning. And so there's a lot that we're still working on 
um, on the, both the tech side, the, the food side, the experience side. But we want to get really, really, really right uh, before we start stamping restaurants out quickly. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I see those two phases. There's kind of like the, the honing, the honing it in and really, really nailing it down. And then there's the scaling. I'd say we're currently in the honing it in phase. Yeah. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm Carl Ulrich, and I'm speaking with Michael Farad, who's the co-founder and CEO of Spice. That's S-P-Y-C-E. Um, so, Michael, I, w- I want to – you said that the critical capability in scaling was real estate, and yet – here are the four of you that are robotics engineers uh, fresh out of school. So talk to a little bit about what you've had to go through to to bring the right people into this team and what kind of challenges you faced in, in doing that or whether you're probably right in the middle of it. Yeah. I mean, I think team building is something that totally transformed after we opened the restaurant. You know, before we opened the restaurant, there was a lot of selling the dream and really, really trying to show people what our vision for it was. Um, now that we have a restaurant out there, uh, it starts with, you know, it, it starts with eating at the restaurant. And I think the restaurant is a little bit like a, a little piece of our personalities, a little piece of our vision that I think people can really latch behind. Um, that's not to say that, you know, finding really talented people is easy. Um, but I think that the way that we've had the most success uh, building our team um, has definitely just been letting them into our world and spending time at the lab spending time at the restaurant and really telling them about what we care about, you know, beyond making a profit, what's really important to us. Mm-hmm. And if we align on those things, that's a, that's a great kickoff to what could be a potentially great, you know, um, uh, team or, or, or team member. All right. So let's just spend a few minutes talking about food development. I mean, in some ways you've made a, uh, in any way, these restaurants, you've you've laid out a, a million or a couple million bucks in capital equipment, and it imposes some constraints on on what you can cook. So how do you think about food development and working within those constraints? Well, I mean, I, I guess like the, the constraints are not quite as rigid as, as you might expect. In fact, I would say the constraints are not too different from what you probably have seen in other fast casual restaurants. You know, mm-hmm. every restaurant has its own operation. It has its own set of equipment. It has its own set of, you know, the staff has their own set of skills. And so in general, you know, when you're developing food for fast casual, there are constraints that you have to work around primarily based around the fact that you're not trying to serve 50 people during dinner. You're trying to serve a whole lot more than that, which means that you got to do things a different way and really try to innovate in your processes. Um, and so, you know, I, like, the, 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 like our, you know, when, when, when we work on food development, um, it, it starts with um, what are we really excited about? And then it gets into, okay, what do we need to do to make sure that it works really well within our capabilities and within our system? Um, but usually it's, it, there's not a tremendous amount that, that has to be totally changed or revamped uh, because of the technology. Um, yeah, does that help answer your question? I'm actually, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what the question was. Yeah, and I, but I wondered also question like, um, we just have a couple minutes, but you mentioned, for instance, chicken is the protein, and I'm wondering to what extent you have to think through things like, okay, how do we get the maximum amount of commonality across our menu so that we're using the same chicken across both the Indian dish and the Korean dish? 
So, I mean, I mean, I mean, that's a great point, and that is definitely something we think about a ton. Is how can we cross-utilize ingredients so that we can limit the number of SKUs, so that we can make our supply chain more straightforward, and generally reduce our operating overhead? Mm-hmm. That's really that's really important. But I, I guess probably the the uh, the point I was trying to make is that that's not just with us. That's mo- most fast casuals look yeah. at their menus and they're trying to increase cross-utilization and try to use ingredients in more than one dish but try to use in, in two or three dishes. Yeah, even a Chipotle or something like that, right? Definitely, yeah. And yeah. I would even say we probably have more SKUs than the average fast casual yeah. just because we're newer and we haven't really optimized yet. Yeah. Um, well, Michael, we just have about a minute left, but give us a sense of how it's going. Uh, it's uh, probably the most uh, fun thing I've ever done, um, and uh, it's a huge learning experience. Um, it's going really well, but I think we have a, we have a long way to go. Um, to really, you know, achieve our, our vision for this. And, uh, but, you know, by and large, um, we're so excited. And uh, and uh, if you're listening, we're excited to see you at the restaurant. Yeah, so where where can we, uh, you've got just one in Boston now, is that right? We've got just the one restaurant in Boston today, but maybe right. opening up near you, not that, not that far away. Okay. Uh, our restaurant at Boston is on 241 Washington Street in Downtown Crossing. All right, and you can uh, check out the website at spyce, S-P-Y-C-E dot com. And also you can go on to YouTube. I was able to find some videos of, of it in operation, which is pretty cool. So, uh, Michael, thanks so much for taking the time. This was super interesting. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.